right, good morning everybody. Places, find your assigned seats. We'll let you ramble around. It's like musical chairs, right? When the music goes off, everybody's just trying to find their spot. There's always that one jerk who kicks the chair out. You know, I'm watching you. So good morning, everyone. All right. Welcome to South Coast Community Church. Uh, we're glad you're here. If by chance it's your first time, you're especially welcomed, and we apologize if we offend you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Jamie. I'm the associate pastor here. And uh, we just have a few announcements this morning before we get started. Um, youth group is this Friday here at the church. It's from 6 to 8 p.m. Each team, each teenager will need to re a registration form filled out by their parent or guardian to attend. Please take one on your way out. It's on the table in the foyer out there. So please make sure if you have a teenager who's going to be attending youth group, um, it's 6 to 8 this Friday, right? Did I say Friday? Yes, Friday. And you need a registration form filled out prior to or bring with, okay? Um, I, we also want to ask, and, and because there's been a lot of conversation about this, and because some folks obviously are, are compromised and, and you know, we want to um, make sure also that we don't get in any trouble um, with our, first and foremost, obviously we want to respect our landlords and our tenants in this building and the space they allow us to use, but also just the guidelines that the state has set forth. So we have had some chatter from this, and we just want to say, you know, please help us follow the guidelines by wearing your mask as you come and go into the, to your seats, and then, you know, when you can't social distance. So if you're sitting down, obviously you can take them off. If you're singing, um, I know you get tired of smelling your own breath. I do too. But at the end of the day, um, we just want to do what's right and uh, respect other people. So if we could try to do that, we would appreciate it. Um, I also, obviously, they're not here today, but I'm sure... Uh, they're watching online. Um, congratulate Sierra and David Stewart, who uh, were married yesterday. Yes. Beautiful ceremony downstairs. Uh, it went really well, and it's really exciting to see another uh, couple in the church come together uh, in that covenant. And um, there's another thing that was celebrated that uh, we also have to take note of and embarrass him for is Pastor Brian's birthday. Pastor Brian just turned... 147 years old. Looks great, doesn't he? In that context, he does. No, just kidding. So I'd like to just, for a moment, let's sing happy birthday to Pastor Brian, can't we? All right. Happy birthday to you. You! Come on, louder. <laughs> Dear Brian. Happy birthday. Sorry, Pastor Brian. <laughs> Woo! I just wanted to personally, and I'm sure all of you stand with me in thanking him for his commitment to us as a body, uh, to his dedication uh, to his ministry and the ministry God, God has called him to. Uh, last week's message, I'm going to tell you, um, I've been listening to him speak uh, for a long time, uh, and, and I'll be nice, but... Uh, it was probably in my top three messages from him last week, if not the number one message I've heard him preach in a, ever. Uh, it was just, I left here really challenged in a good way. I've been thinking about it all week, uh, and I want to thank him, and I just want to, I'm, I'm grateful that we attend a church where we can uh, hear the truth, that it can be presented to us in, a, in the fashion it should be presented, with brokenness, compassion, uh, and, and love, 
and, and just, it really blessed me. I don't know, anybody else really blessed? I mean, what a great message last week. What really stuck out to me, and I'm, and, and I'm sure you all have your tidbits because it's funny, you know, God will use bits and pieces for everybody. You know, he need, everybody needs to hear something and we all maybe are in a different place or our perspectives are different. We're going through different things. You know, but he says, we're not at war with those who have opposing ideologies in us, from us. We're at war for them. We're not at war against them. And I think we forget that quite a bit, don't we? We, we, we forget to go to war for people who are lost. And we forget when we're, when we're debating or in opposing views with someone who's lost that their soul matters. That our job as ministers of reconciliation, our great commission is to love them and lead them to Christ. Amen? And so that message, man, I'll tell you, like, it really helped me with my perspective and how I saw people and dealt with people this past week. It really helped me to realize, like, sometimes I really miss the mark and I drop the ball. And I'm all about defending, you know, my position and my faith and my ideals. But what we need to do is, is we need to lead people to Jesus. We need to show them who Jesus is by the way we live and how we love. Amen? So with that being said, why don't we just stand up together here and let's pray before we enter into a time of praise and worship. And let's not forget the message we heard last week. And let's look forward to the word God has for us today. So let's get ready. Let's bow our heads. God, we ask you now to just enter in here with us to this time of praise. Inhabit, Lord, these praises. And Lord, help us cultivate a heart of worship. I pray, Lord, that in this moment, in this room, that time would stand still. Lord, that we would just be present, Lord. We wouldn't be looking at clocks or worrying about what we have to do after this or later on today. Lord, that this would be the highlight of our day. This would be the priority right here, right now. Father, that all else would fall by the wayside. And Lord, as we, we celebrate you, Lord, we would have a time of true worship. In spirit and in truth. Lord, that we wouldn't just take this for granted. This is a privilege. It is an honor to know you. Your spirit is here. Father, and, and God, we just have this great and awesome opportunity right now to be transformed by every word we sing, by every prayer we pray, and every word we hear. Lord, I'm asking now that you would just be with our worship team as they, as they deliver the songs that you've put on their hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would, as they give their gifts back to you in this body, Lord, that they would, we would all be blessed. And that our hearts would be softened. And that we would enter into the, to that holy throne room of heaven. And Lord, as our pastor comes up and as he shares a message today, God, I pray, Lord, that you just fill him fresh your spirit, with your anointing. Father, you just let him speak for you this morning. Lord, that he would get out of the way, Lord, and that it would touch all of our hearts, that it would change us. The things that we dragged in here today, God, the things that we've been battling for the past week or the past month or for our entire lifetimes, God, Father, that we would hear the answers here in this room today that would allow us to let go of these things, to jump and fall into surrender and freedom in you. We hand our wills over to you now, Lord. We ask you to have your way in this service as we celebrate your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.
morning. As Pastor Jamie was stating, I too was also um, just reflecting on Pastor's message from this past week and um, the things that I've been guilty of, um, like the, the losing sight of the wonder of God at times. We get caught up in our lives and um, we forget about what his word says. Um, and that's where the list of these songs came from. Um, uh, Great are you, Lord, it says. Um, he, he gives life, he gives love, um, but he breathes the breath of life into us. As Genesis 2, 7 says, and, and the Lord God formed man and from the dust of the ground and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. From um, Amazing Love, it says, um, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted because you were condemned. In 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Amen. Amen. And Lord, I need you. It says that um, you are my one defense my righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. David said in Psalm 16, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. Amen. May we sing unto our God, our great God the one that brings givenness, the one that brings life, that breathes the breath of life into us. Amen. You give life you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. You give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light. To the darkness you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your breath. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. 
forgiven because you are forsaken and I'm accepted you are condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again sing it again I'm forgiven forgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died 
amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love. Amazing love, I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. In all I do, I honor you. Again, I'm forgiven. And I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Yes, God. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive, and I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within Thank you, Lord, because you died and rose again. Because of your amazing love, God. Amazing love. Oh, yes. Amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be? How can it be? That you, my king, would die for me. Amazing love. Amazing love. I know it's true. I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. You are my king. You yes, are my king. You yes, God, no one else. Are my king. There's no one higher than you, Father. Jesus, you. There's none like you. Are my king, Jesus, yes, Jesus. You are my king, Jesus, You, Jesus, You are my king, Jesus, You amazing love.
forget in all I do. In all I do. One more time. honor you, Lord, in everything, Father God, for you are our goodness, Lord. You are our righteousness, only you, God. We need you every hour, as the song says.
gather here this morning and we confess together our need of you. Father, we also confess together the expectation that you'll meet us in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our spirits. Help us to recognize the truth of your word. Help it penetrate our hearts. Change our lives. Have your way in this church, Lord. We gather here to just worship you. We are in awe of you. We are in love with you. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to, uh, to be here with you all. Having some technical difficulties. Give me a second here. It's good to be here with you all, um, to be able to come up here and testify, to uh, just continue to try and receive from the Lord the words that, that He wants me to bring forward to you and, and to just be part of just the amazing stuff that's happening here. Amen? Um, what a blessing it is to be a part of this ministry to see lives change, to see each of us pulled into a deeper faith. And that's what it's about, church. It's not about, it's about in, in, how many people we can get in the room, only insofar as it's about how many people we can get deeper in love with Jesus. Amen. But I'm just grateful, as Jamie mentioned, yesterday was my birthday, and I was just, you know, you're reflective and you're, you know, you consider, you're a little more contemplative. And I'll tell you, I am so grateful uh, as I've thought through the blessings of God in my life, uh, the people in my life, uh, this church, my family, my friends, uh, what, a, what a great blessing. Uh, you are really the greatest treasure the Lord's given me, and, and I'm just excited to be a part of this thing, amen? So how about a round of applause for Jesus? Because, man... And so last week we talked about shining for Jesus in these, in these dark times. And I hope you were encouraged by the message. I know it's convicting. I know it's challenging. I had a lot of response, a lot of feedback. People that said that shook me up, but in a good way. Because God always shakes us up in a good way. Amen. And so maybe we were a little shook up, but I hope that it caused us to really assess some things in our lives. And to look at and find ways and really ask the question, am I shining for Jesus? Does my life accurately reflect uh, his work in my life? And so if you're new this morning, welcome. If you are newly back, welcome back. And if this is your home, welcome back home. Of course, we know to all of us who respond to his call, Jesus says, welcome home. Amen. So we taught and to be changed by him. 
A couple of verses that are foundational to my life in ministry, and you've heard many, you know, over all the years I've been preaching, but John 20, 30. John is writing about the purpose of his message. His, he's writing about the reason for his life and labor. He's writing about the source and the guiding force of his ministry. And the very first word says it all, really. Jesus. Encounter this Jesus. This Jesus who lived in such a way that proved he was who he claimed to be. By his life and miracles, ultimately his resurrection from the dead, we confess that Jesus is God. And because of his grace in our lives, we submit to him as our Lord and Savior. So that scripture, John 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. John's saying, there was a lot of stuff that happened. And it was all remarkable stuff, and some of it we wrote down, but there's a lot of stuff we didn't even write down. But these are written, and listen to me. Listen, you're here now. Listen to this word directly from the Lord. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's a foundational scripture to my preaching and, by, and to my message. Now look, Jesus has done a lot of stuff. All we need to do is look at the stuff that's written down in the Bible. But we see there's so many things he's doing. The stories are still being written. But these things, these testimonies, our living epistles that our lives are, are written down that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah. And that belief is so real and transformational that by believing you have life in his name. And so everything I say and do, my hope and prayer, is that because of who Jesus is, because of the miracle he's already performed in your life, your very breath each day, that you see it all and you come to know him. But that you come to know him not just as a good teacher or a good example, but you come to know, as Paul says, the truth of his resurrection. I preach that you would know that Jesus is the sent Messiah, and like John writes, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Every sermon has the same goal. Every good sermon should, at the end of a good sermon, you shouldn't say great sermon or, or great minister. You should say great Savior. Every sermon should point us to Jesus Christ. To bring people who don't know Jesus into a relationship the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. And for those who do know him to encourage us to go deeper. Now I know there's like a sense we should be content with the Lord, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We have everything we need in him, right? Psalm 23, 1 or 2 Peter 1, 3. We have all that we need for life and godliness in him. And those things are definitely true. But this also, as Ephesians 3.8 says, unfathomable riches in him that we need to explore. We're not going to delve deeper, but we're going to dive deeper. We're going to press in. We're going to move into a greater intimacy. So with Moses, we should pray. In Exodus 33.13, now therefore I pray you, if, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. That's what Moses is asking. Scripture said the Lord assured Moses that he would grant this request. But Moses wasn't content with that. So he continued in Exodus 33:18. I pray you, Lord, show me your glory. 
He wasn't praying for material wealth or comfort or that the Lord would take away trials. It wasn't a a prayer for success in his ministry. His prayer was to know God more deeply. Now we might ask, we might look at the life of Moses like we look at the life of some of the other saints. And we'd say, Moses, what more could you want? I mean, you you talked to God at the burning bush. You saw him do miracles in Egypt. You saw him pot the Red Sea. You saw manna and water from the rock. Moses, you saw God's glory when you and the seven elders of Israel went up in the mountain and ate and drank in his presence. Moses, you you spent 40 days on the cloud-covered mountain where you personally met with God and received the commandments. Moses, it says that God often spoke with you face to face, face, face to face at the tent of meeting. Moses, isn't that enough? I mean, don't you have enough of God, Moses? Can't you, you maybe, maybe step back now from your faith? I was talking to somebody this morning. They were saying, like, if you don't just keep taking a step forward, like the current just takes you back. You're going to keep taking a step forward just so as to not be backslidden. Moses knew that. I want to see the glory of God in a deeper way. That was Moses' prayer. And I pray, I pray that that's, the, that that's the prayer of my heart and that that's the prayer of your heart. That when you come to this place, your prayer ultimately is, I want to know God in a deeper way. I'm not going to settle for yesterday's blessing, for where I was yesterday on my journey. I want to press in to the knowledge of Jesus because there's nothing I preach to you. That's any more powerful than that truth. That's what's going to change you. I've told people before, if you like math, the equation is your effectiveness to Jesus is equal to or greater than your submission to Jesus. You want to be effective from him? You just submit. You don't have to think of what you have to offer and you don't have to overanalyze it. You You just go like this, here I am, Lord, use me. You want to shine for Jesus? You want to get the Cliff Notes version and just walk out with all your heart and with all your soul. Say, here I am, Lord. Use me. And mean it. That's how ministries get started. In fact, that's how all ministries should get started. W. Pink observed, this is both the longing of the redeemed and the goal of their redemption to behold the glory of God. It's the longing. It's we ulti- what we ultimately long for. And it's also the goal of our lives. The reason we're redeemed is to glorify God with our lives. And so I want to pray right now for this sermon. That we're in that place where we are longing for more of him. That we are at a place where we are seeking after the beauty of the Lord. And so, Father, we come to you. Vulnerable, repentant, broken. Lord, but also holding on to your promises at peace. Believe in your truths. And so, Father, we come here and we just ask that you just draw us, each one of us, Lord. We don't look at our neighbor. We don't look at our friend. We don't look at who we were yesterday or who we want to be tomorrow. We... Stand naked before you and say, search me, O Lord. Show me the things, God. It's the cry of our heart to want to go deeper with you. And if it's not, help it to be. I believe, help my unbelief. We're vulnerable. We're honest. We meet you here. We love you. Have your way. Minister to us in spirit and truth. Amen.
Well, I had a very inspirational day yesterday. It was my 47th birthday, 47 years old. I know I don't look a day over 57, so that's, that's pretty good. I just read a joke the other day and it said, yeah, I started this whole pandemic thing. I, I wanted to lose 20 pounds, only 25 more to go. And I was like, that's it. But I'm probably at least halfway done this life, I think, God willing, right, as I was kind of thinking of this. And, and again, I was just reflecting on how grateful I am. Because I think we don't take enough time to kind of stop. You know, we're, we're, we're really good at looking at all the things that we don't think are the way we want. You know, I, this isn't going well. And, and we spend a lot of time focusing on that stuff. Even a lot of times bringing some of that stuff to, to the Lord. But how often do we just spend time and say, you know, I just want to look. I just want to reflect on with gratitude on every facet of my life. And again, as I mentioned, I'm grateful for the people in my life, life most of all. Because it's about community, right? God exists in community. It's, it's in his essence. He, he exists in community. And community is everything. Community is everything. You know, Stacy and, uh, and Jamie, the other night we had a leadership meeting and they brought little Ashton over so the leadership team could meet. And I was just thinking, I was watching him, you know, and even this morning, and how excited he is to just be alive, right? He's just like exploring the world. He's just trying to figure things out. He's, you know, he, he doesn't know, but he's eager, Right? He's like, you look at him, he's so alive. Where's our excitement, Christian? Because, you know, we, last week was a convicting, challenging message, but the goal of it is to get us to analyze so that we can shine. Where's our joy, Christians? When people look at us, are they seeing, boy, look at those people that are so alive, that are so eager, that have a, a zest, an excitement for life. If we don't have that, and, and we're the only, the only human beings that have any reason to have that, if we don't have the hope of Jesus, the only hope in the world, if we don't express that, if we don't realize that, nobody's going to. Nobody's going to. And any, and any little tarnished reflection that might look like light is not of God. Do we understand that that's what we're allowing to happen? So the most countercultural, revolutionary thing you can do is shine. And so I want to get to the source of, of that shining. How often have we lost our joy? Where is the joy we once had. Just, a, just another day, another, the gift of life, our health. I realize that often I can forget the joy of a single moment. Another year alive. I miss his blessings sometimes. Sometimes I can settle and not like Moses pray to go deeper, but say, you know, Lord, things are pretty good. You know, I'm you know, I'm good. I think I'm all set now, Lord. I'm going to hit a little autopilot here. I don't want to go deeper because if I go deeper, I mean, that might, might require more of me. And, and I know there's a blessing in that, but I don't really trust that necessarily. What if our prayer, our real prayer, was to just always go deeper? 
It became so clear to me in that moment. I was sitting in my truck, looking at the lake, and I was realizing that all I have is Jesus. That ultimately that's all I need. And I realized how fulfilled I, I, I was in that realization that my identity, that who I was, that the, the way I lived, that everything, that, that my, my view of the world, my view of life, everything was answered emotionally, intellectually, in my heart. Everything I desired was in Jesus. And I so completely saw that. And I thought, I lack for nothing. And there's so many people that could lack for nothing if they only put their trust in Jesus. You see, look, for a long time I looked really hard but in all the wrong places. But one thing that's true, and you can ask around, I was radical in my pursuits. I didn't take no for an answer. I didn't say, well, you know, I think I've gone deep enough into this lifestyle or into this addiction. Or I think I'm going to stay right here. No, I wanted to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Because why? The lie of the enemy tells you, well, the next time, whatever it is, it's, we're all addicts. We're just addicted to sin. Your sin's different than mine, or maybe not. But it's all relative. So if you go, well, I didn't have had a drug addiction. Well, you had a sin addiction your whole life. So it's the same thing. It's the same Believe in the enemy's lies, the cheap substitute for something better. That's the definition of sin. And buying into that. And thinking, well, you know, maybe the next relationship or the next purchase or the next substance or the next whatever, maybe the next one's going to be different and we spend our whole lives chasing the wrong thing, wanting to go deeper. No, you know, nobody said, hey, you want to go deeper in your addiction? I was like, no, I'm deep enough. It was like, yes, there's a deeper. Let's try to get there. I wasn't going to give up. But you asked me if I want to go deep with Jesus. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, me and Jesus are kind of deep right now. I mean, I got, you know, my head above water here. But, you know, I mean, you know, I could go a little deeper. But I don't, then I have to, you know, dog paddle a little. Like, I'm kind of chilling. I'll let you know if I decide to go deeper with Jesus. But right now, me and Jesus are good. Because that's, that, I'm being honest. That's, that's what I do. And then I'll start telling him all the stuff I'm doing for him. Like I'm convincing them. No, Jesus, I know you want to take me deeper, but like right now, I mean, preaching's good, serving at Teen Challenge. It's like, I don't forget. That's secondary stuff. You neglect the primary thing, you, you have no business doing secondary stuff. Eventually, that's just religion. That's the scariest thing you can do. You know, I'm going to talk about shining for Jesus, and, and I'm going to talk about the, you know, the, the purpose of our life, and I'm going to talk about what causes us to pause, and I'm going to talk about the process. But honestly, some of us just need to fall in love for, with Jesus for the first time. Some of us not need to fall, you know, re-fall in love with him, reacquaint ourselves with him. And some of us just need to fall deeper in love. Everybody here, you, that's where you are. There's nobody here that's not in that spot. So you see the progression. Literally the only reason why you're here right now is to fall in love with Jesus either for the first time or leave here deeper in love with him and then you walked in the door. That's the goal. So if that doesn't happen, I mean the word doesn't come back void. But that's what I want to happen. 
Jesus is the source of my peace and joy and strength and hope. I know that today. Without a doubt, unequivocally, there's no questioning. The enemy can't even go, yeah, but back in the day, I'm just like, really, dude, come on. Really, you think that's going to get anywhere? You know what I've seen Jesus do? You know how much I love this guy? Are you kidding me? You're going to come out with me with yesterday? No, that's not going to work anymore. You've got you to come with something different. I want to stand for Jesus today. I want every person I encounter to come to know Jesus in that same kind of way. And to at points in their life when they're reflective, treasure each moment as a gift from God. I want to focus each day living fully for Jesus. I'm going to tell a story. I was thinking of not, just kind of sideways, but it's a good. So it was my birthday yesterday, which that's like one of those times where I can get out of the honey-do list stuff, you know, when we have stuff to do, and I can be like, honey, it's my birthday, right? You know that? But I'm trying to be like a whole different person. This is a true story. I'm glad she's downstairs or something. She'd stop this. So, you know, I'm working on my sermon. Even the Isaacsons text me, you know, what are you doing for your birthday? I'm like, I'm working on my sermon. They're like, well, that's kind of for us. I'm like, well, it's for everybody, but that's what I'm doing. So I'm like already serving the Lord. And Becky says, we get a duck house and there's animals that are digging under it. So she says, hey, I think today we should put all the wiring under the duck house. And in my spirit, I'm going, no, we definitely shouldn't. That's, nobody thinks we should do that. That's a horrible idea. What are you thinking? She's like, yeah, it'll be quick. I can do it. And I'm like, okay. You can pull the birthday card. You can totally get out of this one. But you're trying to be different. So there was this like, little battle. And then, and then ultimately the Holy Spirit said something like really dumb. Like, listen, it's your birthday. Your wife wants to spend time with you outside. You'll be getting exercise. You'll be with your pet ducks. It's beautiful. What better to do, you know, so I was like, oh, I'm still making all sense and stuff. <laughs> so I go out there, and of course, we got to lift the thing and take it apart. Anyway, long story short, at some point, she goes, man, I'm sorry I suggested this. She's like, this is taking so long. Now, I knew it was going to be like a five-hour project. She said, we can do it in like an hour. I'm, okay. So in my heart to serve, you know, halfway through it, five hours in, oh, this is a big thing. I'm like, yeah, you think, honey? Yeah, this was, this was. This is what I did for you on my birthday. I want to know, so I want credit for that later down the road. <laughs> Sorry, I was just, I'm trying to make good choices. I'm trying to be good. That was, I thought, a funny story. Anyway, I digress. Um, so yesterday I had a meeting regarding trying to make the lake in the town I live in more beautiful. I've never been on a town committee but I want to make things beautiful for the town. And I was sitting in the parking lot before it arrived. The sun was shining on the water. It was a beautiful day. I thought, boy, it would be so sad if nobody ever uses the lake because the weeds get to the point where it's so overgrown that it just stops doing anything a lake's supposed to do. It's not a resource for the town. It gets overgrown. It's not able to be what it was meant to be. And so I say that to you because I'm going to use that lake as an illustration throughout this morning's message. Because Jesus often uses imagery, imagery and stories, parable, parables, to teach lessons. And I think God knew about all of this. The Holy Spirit guides the sermon process. Nothing happens that he is not aware of. I think even before the curse, God gave us responsibility for our world. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
So it's a blessing to be outside. It's stewardship. To enjoy creation the way that points us to the creator. That we're not just satisfied saying the beauty of the day, the beauty of the lake, the beauty of creation. But what an artist our creator is. So this morning I want to look more at both what we are called to do. Again, our purpose, which is impact the world for Jesus. Very easy. Easily said. I want us to consider what gets in our way. What are the things that have a lot of us on pause? And finally, how can we come together? How can we encourage and equip one another for ministry? What is our process? So for however long it takes, we're going to look at a practical teaching on kingdom and uh, uh, kingdom living. So back to my lake illustration. I'm serving on a committee, and the goal is to bring back something beautiful that was lost. I remember as a kid going to the beach there with my family. Now, I live on the water, so I enjoy it more than most people, and the weeds are affecting me personally, but it's much bigger than that. Whenever people come over the house, I always, it's like, you know, I don't really like amusement parks, but I like going and watching my kids, because that brings me joy to watch them. Whenever anybody comes and enjoys, you know, the lake, or, you know, I love seeing people enjoy themselves. I love seeing people happy like that. I want everyone, not just people who live near the water, to have this experience. To know it's all God's creation. We don't, it doesn't matter which town or which municipality or which individual, it's all His. And we're stewards. And so I want to impact things. I want to make things more beautiful. I want to leave a legacy for the next generation. This is what I'm thinking through while I'm realizing, like, why am I going to be in this committee? Like, do I need something else to do? Or, and then these, these reasons... And it kind of dawned on me that these are always, these are the same reasons that I do ministry. To bring back something that was once there. To love, to encourage people, to, to experience their lives. To have joy, to restore what was once lost. To see the beauty, I can still see the beauty even though it's overgrown, this weeds. We're going to look at what we're called to do. Serving, volunteering to make the world a better place, to share good news with people so they can experience joy. Our purpose. What is hindering and stopping us? And I called that pause because stop means stop, but we're not stopped, we're just pause. Some of us have been paused, but we're going to resume. For a lot of reasons, and we're going to get into them, but for a lot of reasons where we're not impacting people for Jesus right now, we're on pause. We're not stopped or on pause because we're going to resume, church, amen? We're going to live for Jesus. And the process, what can we do now to change these things? So purpose, pause, and process, three Ps to help us to remember. So first, purpose, what are we called to do? When talking about our ministries, and by that I mean our lives, because it's the same thing, right? Interchangeable if you're a Christian. Your life is your ministry, and your ministry is your life. You don't have, like, just your ministry that, like, you serve in. That's not, you're not ministering when you're in that, you know, you put that hat on or you go to that location. It doesn't work like that. Your ministry is your life. And we need to see it like that. So, the way we should live our lives, not just pieces of it, all of our lives, Jesus uses the illustration of salt and light. 
Now, we talked a few weeks back about the, about the Beatitudes, where Jesus lays out his blessings for people that demonstrate the quality he looks for in his followers. It was all a heart sermon. It was all about, you know, uh, analyzing our heart, taking an honest assessment of where we were spiritually, and asking the Lord to change our hearts. So as Jesus continues in that same teaching, he gives us two metaphors for how disciples should live. Salt and light. Two things that can't help but affect their environment in some way. Remember the behavior that Jesus says brings blessings to the follower of God? That's radically different than the behavior of the world. We may start to consider that maybe Jesus follows that it would be so different from the world that maybe we should withdraw from the world, right? Maybe we should form our own little communities that no longer engage as much. Maybe the answer, that's the answer. No, Jesus' illustration here teaches the exact opposite of that. That we are to engage the world with God's love. So in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus is saying, if salt doesn't do what it is that salt was supposed to do, then it becomes useless. And Jesus is saying his followers are salt. So what does that mean? Jesus is referring to this handful of basically uneducated disciples, and he says they're the salt of the earth. Well, in ancient times, salt was a necessity. It had great value attached to it. In fact, it was sometimes used for money. The Roman soldiers of Jesus' day were sometimes paid with salt. Our word from sa uh, salary comes from the Latin word salarium or salt money, which refers to that. Whenever you use the phrase someone's not worth their salt, it's a carryover from that biblical idea, this high value salt had. According to the Salt Institute, there are over 14,000 uses for salt. But I want to talk at two primary ones. First as a seasoning and second as a preservative. No doubt it's the main uses. I want to look at that. Because salt was essential for survival in the days prior to refrigeration because it was the only way they could preserve anything. The salt would be rubbed onto meat before it was stored. And the salt would arrest or at least would hinder the process of decay. Christians are supposed to hinder, arrest the decay of the world, not be indifferent to it, not contribute to it, certainly, but be a force against decay. Shine that light into the darkness, not allow the darkness to stifle out our light, which we'll talk about. In fact, as much as the, you know, history and, and you know, things, you may hear another side of this. But the truth is, the historical truth, is that Christianity has had a profound positive impact throughout the world. The most dramatic impact of Christianity has attached new value to human life. You can look throughout history. This is not opinion stuff. Prior to Christianity, in, in, infanticide? How do you say that word? Infanticide? Doesn't sound right, does it? Infanticide? Doesn't sound right. Anyway, sorry. Abandonment of children was common practice. In fact, as we know them, hospitals now began through the influence of Christianity. The Red Cross was started by an evangelical Christian. 
This is hard to believe, but almost every one of the first 123 colleges in the United States had Christian origins. They were founded by Christians for specifically Christian purposes. The same could be said of orphanages, adoption agencies, and humane treatment of the insane. The list goes on and on. But undeniably is Christianity's positive impact in world history. Christians continue to have a positive benefit on our world. They are a moral antiseptic. We keep the corruption of society at bay by opposing moral decay in our own lives. And then by our lives and by our words, having a counterforce just by the way we live. Today, though, and we touched on it last week, George Bonner, who's the famous church statistician, he said, research shows that the average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. I'm going to say that. The average Christian in the average church, now none of you are average, so this obviously doesn't apply to a single one of us, right? Because we are at least above average. At least slightly above average, right? Because if we don't, if we don't stop it, if the goal of our lives is to be salt and light. That's why we're here. Like, if, if not, if the goal of our lives was to just put our, our trust in Jesus, then when that happened, we'd just go to heaven, right? But he leaves us here. Not for us. Is that a secret? Not for us. He leaves us here with now a role, with now a mission, with now a new identity. Now we're to be ambassadors for Jesus. Now we're supposed to make a difference. We're supposed to be salt and light. That's what we're called to do. Like, there's no question, there's no, nobody gets out of that. Like, we're literally here to live lives that bring glory to God. So I'm going to read the scripture so that what? People come to know and believe Jesus is who he claimed to be. That's the goal. And so if we can't get to the place, church, and we can't, if I can't get to the place, and I can't be honest enough to go, am I just an average Christian in an average church that make, makes no real difference at all to anybody around me? Because if we're not, you know, if we're going to just come here and then hear a sermon and be convicted a little, but, you know, put it on the shelf, the spiritual shelf of stuff we'll get at someday. I don't believe that's why the Lord's got us in this place. You see, too often the fundamental moral and ethical difference that Christ can make in how we live is missing in our lives. Too often the fundamental make, will make in our lives is missing. So if Christians lose the qualities of Christ likeness that make us distinct and we become like the society around us, we are no longer having a positive impact. We, will, we are no longer preservative. Instead, we've become a hindrance to the gospel. Not only are we not doing what we're supposed to do, we're doing what we're not supposed to do. According to Scripture, one day prior to our Lord's return, the church will be removed from this world. And when Christians are finally removed from the world scene, all hell literally breaks loose. In 2 Thessalonians 2.7, we read, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Thank God that the Spirit, thank God that the power of Jesus is that preservative, keeping it all at bay. But we have a role. We're called to be part of that. 
So salt was very valuable. It was useful, particularly to the people of ancient Palestine. Whether it was taste or preservation as an irritant, whatever purpose. Here's the point. That salt was useful for many things until it wasn't useful for anything at all. Because it stopped doing what salt does. Because Christians stopped doing what Christ does. Because my lake got so overgrown with all this other stuff that wasn't supposed to ever be there anyway. That it started to look like not even a lake. If salt no longer tasted like salt or preserved or accomplished whatever purpose it was supposed to accomplish, it became useless and would just be thrown out. So just as salt is extremely useful to society, Christians must be a blessing to those around them. So back to my lake. A lake is what? It's beautiful. Provides fish, irrigation, birds, other animals. It's a place to swim, a boat, a kite. A lot of things you can do. We all do different things with it. But it's, it's, a, it's a source. It's a beauty. I think anything outside that has the ability to, with, through that beauty to connect us with our creator. But what happens when it's neglected to the point that not only does it become not useful for the good things, but now it's an eyesore. Now it's actually a bad thing. Now you'd, you'd actually be better off if it wasn't there at all. You know any Christians like that? Not only are they not even doing the stuff they're supposed to be doing, you'd be better off without them in your life. See, what happens is all these things come in that weren't supposed to be there. When a lake's taken care of, when salt's doing what salt does, it's beautiful. A lake provides peace and joy. It's a reflection, again, of its creator. Bible says, Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Creation, so that men are without excuse. All beauty is a reflection of the creator. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. Christians are supposed to shine the light of Jesus. We're supposed to follow Jesus. We're supposed to worship, in the truest sense of the world, Jesus. To make an impact on the world around us. So let's look at why we may be on pause. What's hindering us? What's stopping us from being useful for God? Or to personalize it, what happened to me? Really, can you go to church and ask that question? Can you just be honest? Because nobody's going to know except you and God, and it could change everything for you. So just have that be a prayer, like, Lord, what happened to me? I don't know what kind of week you had. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know, you know, I see that, like, I go back to Ashton, and I, my own kids, just that energy, that enthusiasm of a young person. And then they know, like, they're, like, moving all over, like, bouncing, like, like, he knows he's safe. I got him, right? I'm going to hold on to him. He's just, like, moving all around, enjoying life. Like, you can't contain him. Do we live life like that? No, and our dad's got us. We're safe. You know, we're good. We, you know, just kind of enjoy life. Enthusiasm, excitement. People can be like, man, I want to be around that. Because I know, like, with Ashton, I want to be around that kid. Where's he at? Do we live lives like that where people say, I want to be around that Christian? 
I'll tell you what happened in the lake. First, weeds came in. And it's interesting that the weeds that came in were the stuff that weren't supposed to live there. They were the non-native species. Because the weeds that are there, like the, the lily pads and the, that stuff looks good. It serves a purpose. That stuff's supposed to be there. But this stuff, this was non-native stuff. We allowed things in that didn't belong there. And now the stuff that doesn't belong is actually displacing the stuff that does belong. Hello? Because that's what happens. It's not like morally neutral sometimes. You stop walking forward, you're already backslidden. Non-native stuff. And it was like slowly. Sometimes it was a little carelessness. It came in from other places. And in fact, you know, the engineer that was there in this committee, he said, the, the reason most of this stuff comes in is from boats. Because boats will back their trailer up, and they'll get the native weeds from wherever they put their boat in. They'll pull the trailer out, and that stuff will stay on the wheels of the trailer. They don't rinse it off, and you're not really intending to do anything. But they're spreading something they don't want to spread by carelessness. And so that introduces this non-native species, the stuff that's not supposed to be there to the lake. And it's supposed to be somewhere. It has a function. It's just not where it's supposed to be. Because sometimes the sin stuff, sometimes it's not so overtly bad. Sometimes it just shouldn't be in our lives. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's that stuff we go, well, you know, it's not sinful per se, but I know I need to, I need to get away from that. And that needs to, that's not good for me. Sometimes it's carelessness in our lives. If we liken that to our ministries, to our lives for Jesus, some of us dragged in our own junk from somewhere in the past. Whether we were aware of it or not, we didn't clean off the boat trailer. We, you know, we, weren't, we didn't leave with a, with a new fresh trailer, which is what happens. We put our trust and faith in Jesus. Everything's new. We're, we're still, that stuff in the, in the back, that's pulling us down. And not in an encouraging, convicting, like, lesson way that the Lord's showing you. People say, when I'm convicted, how do I know if it's from the Lord or the enemy? Well, if it convinces you that you're no good, that you can't do this Christian thing, that you're probably not really saved, all the lies that keep you in shame and guilt and pity, that's the enemy. If it's conviction that makes you say, you know what, godly sorrow that leads to repentance, I just really need to... Put my trust and faith in Jesus again and start again, fresh, walking this out. That's the Lord. That's the difference. But some of us, we, we get all hung up on that. And we like to say the prayer, I put my trust and faith in you, Jesus. You know, set me free. And he says, okay, you're free. And then we walk out of jail and we get all these bags. It's like, you don't have to take those. No, it's good. I want, no, I want these with me. These are good. Some of the stuff I can't let go of. No, but that's going to drag you down. I know, but I got it. I'll let, I'll let you know if at some point I need you to help me carry these. Or We'd say that's crazy, but we do. And we think it doesn't affect us until that non-native species, until that sin in our life displaces the joy, dim, dims the shine. Sometimes with the lake, it's just reckless, right? Some people just come, and they litter, and they break bottles, and they leave junk, and they, and they wreak havoc. They don't care about the space. They don't care about anyone else. I don't know about you, probably no one here, but I'll tell you, I lived like that for a really long time. I trashed the place. You don't think Jesus can come and clean that mess up? You've got to let him. 
So you let him clean up here, and then you go home, and you take all the toys right out and make a mess again. No. No, you got to leave that. Sometimes we look at our lives as just taking what we can get and leaving nothing good. No regard for how our life is impacting or not impacting others. But if we allow negative stuff to come in from other places, that sin nature stuff instead of that new nature stuff, pretty soon you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Because that non-native stuff is just overgrown in our lives. See, part of the problem with the lake is just neglect. When nobody takes care of anything, it gets worse and worse. When you sit back and you go, well, that might be true, Pastor Brian. But I just don't know if I want to deal with it now. I mean, it doesn't look so bad compared to how it looked yesterday. And so it must not be that bad. And all of a sudden, 20 years go by, and it doesn't even look like the same thing. See, the the lake was neglected, and every year it didn't really look that much worse than the year before. It didn't seem like it was making that much of a difference until all of a sudden it did. How bad do things have to get in our lives? Do we have to bring ourselves to a standstill in our effectiveness for Jesus before we stop and consider Am I shining a light for Jesus? That's it. Simple yes or no. And if you are, praise God, I I pray that it gets brighter, and that's why we gather, that it would get brighter and brighter. But don't allow just a few small sins, just a few small weeds that don't look like they're making a difference, choke out the life that Jesus wants to create in you. Because eventually the lake's overgrown. The lake's no longer a lake. The salt is no longer salty. The self-professed Christian is no longer following Jesus. And maybe we're still doing stuff. We're spinning our wheels. But it's all activity and no productivity. All Pharisee and no Jesus. And the reason is, and if you're here and you're at that point and the Lord is, 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 you know, kind of convicting you in, in this and then we need to get back to the source and the reason for it all. In Revelation 2, verse 1 through 5, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. You know, I don't know about you, but to me, I'm going to read this as to Brian write. Because I'm going to own some of this. Because I'm going to receive some of this. These things say to he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you found them liars. And you have persevered and you have patience. And have labored for my name's sake. And have not become weary. I'm like, me, me, Lord. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to sign up. That's good stuff. That sounds good, Jesus. I'm on track. And then he says this. Nevertheless, it's kind of one of those like, that don't really matter. I have this against you. You love your first love. Because that's it, because everything stems from that. You can fake all the other stuff, but the love, you can't really fake that. 
Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have this against you. It's awesome your ministry is producing this fruit and that fruit, and you're getting better. you got some spiritual discernment going on. You know, when people aren't teaching the truth, check, check, check. You're doing good, man. Oh, but wait. Teen Challenge used to be this big dude. I don't even know where he was from. He'd walk around and he'd go, check your heart, brother. Every question, everything you did, every problem you had, every mistake you made, check your heart, brother. That's what he'd say. And it was always good advice, always accurate. Want to see the problem, the reason you're doing what you're doing? Check your heart, brother. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Check your heart. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus is saying, look, that stuff you're doing, if that's not for me, if that somehow become for you, or if that became a substitute for a relationship with me, yeah, at some point I'm going to pull the plug. It's not even ministry. They're just doing human stuff. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not a church that's just interested in doing human stuff. You know, sometimes I have to be honest and, and, and realize that I've neglected my first love, that I've forgotten the most important thing. That I've become so used to the, the way things are in my own life. I've been so used to even my sin condition that I think there's no more ability to change, that I've just sort of become complacent, that I stop fighting actively to go deeper with Jesus. That I don't say like Moses, oh, you know what I want from you, Lord? I, wanna, I want more knowledge of you. I want to go deeper with you. And then the Lord says something, and he pushed back, no, Lord, I want to see your glory. I don't want to settle with, even just for your miracle, I don't want, you know, and it's not because you want, you want him to change the circumstances as much as you just know he's going to change you. Lord, I just want more of you. I just want more of you, Jesus. People used to ask me, you know, my charismatic brothers say, why don't you pray for the gifts? I say, I'm praying for the gift giver. He'll give me whatever gifts he wants. You know what I'm praying for? I'm, I'm praying to Jesus. Father, I want to be effective for you. You decide, not me. I don't have to pray t- for the gifts. I pray to the giver. And so we, we neglect our first love, and we start hanging around with Christians who have neglected their first love. And, and before you know it, we're not impacting the world for Jesus, and nobody really notices that anything's wrong, and everybody moves on until the church just exists on the outskirts, until it fades away and it doesn't matter. Because Christians have become lukewarm, and they've sought that which was, does not fulfill. Jeremiah 2.13 says it this way, For my people, they've committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They've fallen out of love. They neglected the first thing. And instead, what they did, as if this could even come close, They hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They searched in places where not only was was there nothing, but there would never be anything. Where there was nothing good there, and nothing good could accumulate, and it was empty. And somehow they've neglected me, and they've gone far away. And then they gather together and talk about how come they're not shining for Jesus. 
if our message is no longer life-changing, if we don't internalize, if we don't believe, if we don't live empowered by the Spirit, we become powerless. with this, but I want to I want to kind of talk about this. Part of it is that we've forgotten our very identity. I mean, part of it is you those weeds that you brought in, you you want life. You want beauty. You want newness. You're 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 here and you're like, I'm eager to get rid of these weeds. These things have been pulling me down. I don't, you know, I don't want them here. I'm not trying to bring them. Good. If you're at that place, good. Then what you got to do is you got to trust that when you put your life into his care, what then you pray, Lord, you take this from me. You got to believe that he did. You got to walk in the truth that is your reality. You got to recognize your new identity. A lot of us aren't shining because we're believing the lies of the enemy instead of who we are in Jesus. Forgiven, set, victorious, ambassadors. Grateful. I mean, at the start of it all, I mean, my, my, and the, you know, I love the word grateful, but my heart was just grateful yesterday. I just sat there and I thought, Lord, I overwhelmingly blessed. What, because I haven't gone through difficulty? Because I haven't made, no. Because despite what I have behind me. I have Jesus with me. And I know he's walking forward with me. You see, when the Lord tells you to let that stuff go, he's going to help you walk without it. Every time you go, well, Jesus, wait a minute, I think I forgot he's going to go. No, keep coming. I'll help you. You don't need to go back there. Remember, Jesus prescribed a certain behavior for his followers. He's saying if we act that way, if we act like salt, if Christians are the way Christians are supposed to be, we're going to be light. We're going to have an impact. The worship team can come up. And next week we'll look more at that. We'll look more at what it means to shine for Jesus, to be light. And we'll take a look at the process that we can go through together. But this is a good place to start and a good place to stop, to introduce. If we are to shine for Jesus... We need to consider if we've lost our first love. And we need to get to this place where we recognize that if we can pray, and we can say, and and pray with me, just bow your heads as the worship team gets ready to play. Father, our prayer, the cry of our heart, is you need to show us, Lord, so clearly the weeds that have come in, the things the non-native species that have overgrown our lives to the point where we feel like there's no way, there's no way forward. But Father, that's a lie of the enemy because your word says that in, in, a, in you we will have peace, that you set us free, that we can have abundant life in you, not because of the stuff you give us, but because of who you are. And so, Father, help us to recognize and believe that when we say we trust you, when we say we put our lives into your care, when we say we ask that our past be forgiven, that those things are gone, that we are free, that we are victorious, that we can walk and shine a light that has nothing to dim it. 
and only everything to make it brighter, the, your, your word, your presence, your spirit, your people around us, God, all things that serve to keep our light bright. Father, help us to recognize that it's out of an overflow of our love for you that all ministry happens, that all discipleship happens, that we are being salt and light. So tell, help us now to take an honest look to repent where we need to repent, to commit where we need to commit, and to help each other to walk it out. To recognize that when we say, Lord, take these weeds away, that the truth of the matter is, is that pond is clear and beautiful and able to be used. So, Father, have your way. As we close and worship God, let these songs we sing just not be empty words but be the cry, the prayer of our heart. Holy Spirit, change us. In Jesus' name.
the only goodness, Lord. You are our righteousness, Holy Father. May we remember our first love, God. May we be reminded daily, God, every hour of who you are and who we're called to be, Lord. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 